and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about dreams, big dreams, dreams of your soul, dreams that help you connect back to who you are, dreams that help you remember your truest self. And to help us with this huge topic, we have the best dream teacher in the world, Robert Muss. He's a best-selling novelist and writer, famous for books such as The Dreamer's Book of the Dead, Dream Gates, Conscious Dreaming, and most recently, Growing Big Dreams. He's developed a practice called Active Dreaming, which combines dream work and shamanic methods of healing and journeying. His work teaches us that dreaming doesn't only happen when we sleep. His work teaches us how to wake up to sources of guidance, healing, and creativity beyond the reach of the everyday mind. We are so honored to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be dreaming with you, Samantha. Yes, I am too. Okay, so I want to start off with kind of a big question. In your most recent book, Growing Big Dreams, you hit upon so many things that I have been excitedly researching on my own. One of the quotes that you say is, what is in your way may be your way. And that just kind of blew my mind because we always see blocks and challenges as something we have to overcome, a hurdle we have to jump. And yet you say, no, that actually might be your biggest teacher. And I was wondering if you could start us off by telling listeners how your early experiences growing up in Australia with your near-death experience taught you this. For anyone who's not aware, please read his book, The Boy Who Died and Came Back, for more about that. Thank you. Well, let me explain. Let me introduce it further, since you mentioned the title of that book. Let me explain where the title came from, The Boy Who Died and Came Back. When I was three years old, I was pronounced clinically dead in a hospital in Tasmania. And when I came back, the doctor said with slight embarrassment to my parents, oh, your boy died and he came back, didn't he? Because I wasn't considered to be having a near-death experience. We didn't have that phrase back then. I was considered dead and returned from the dead. It happened again when I was nine years old. Now, to link this up to your main theme about how the obstacle might be the way, the setback might be the opportunity, there's a gift in these terrible experiences, which were not just of dying and coming back. I had double pneumonia 12 times from the ages of three and 11. Half my years were spent in the half light of sick rooms. So, you know, I'm, I'm an Australian, I mean, we're outdoor people, but I didn't have much outdoor nature as a kid. I had all this time in my imagination and in the realm of my dreams. So the gift for me out of this very tough apprenticeship was that I became at home in the dream worlds. It was nothing unusual for me to spend time in lands that are not in ordinary reality, to talk to the dead, to the ancestors as if they're living and right next to you, to see the future and to see across space and time, to go to places of creativity and inspiration. But growing up in a conservative era in a white military family in Australia, changing school after school as my father's, you know, postings led us from one place to another, I didn't have anybody to confirm and validate these experiences. And even today, many dreamers will feel the same. Who can I tell about this? He'll give me some feedback. He'll tell me I'm not going crazy, or if I am, I'm going crazy in good company. The first person I met who could validate what was going on was an Aboriginal kid from the First Peoples of Australia, very old tradition, very old dreaming tradition. And he'd say to me, very matter of fact, oh yeah, yeah, we do that. You know, we get really sick. We go and live in another world for a while. When we come back, sometimes we're the same and sometimes we're not. 
And he'd say, my uncle, the artist, does that to get his ideas for his big paintings, not the ones for the tourists, but the dreamtime paintings. He goes into the dreaming, spends time there and comes back. So that was part of the story of my childhood. And there was a great gift in it. I mean, shrinks would talk about dissociation. Uh, shamans would talk about initiation and apprenticeship. I mean, it's never been a strange thing for me to know I can leave the body and brain, go into another reality, do things there, have some fun there, pursue some healing for myself and others there, go to institutes of higher education there and come back. And eventually in life, having done various things in life and used this dreaming in various applied ways, I decided after some very big experiences in midlife, I needed to bring some of this to people where they live in a colloquial everyday way, as simple as I can make it, help other people to realize, hey, you have dreams, you have small dreams, you have big dreams, they can give you access to resources and remembering what the soul wants that is not available to the ordinary mind. Yeah, beautifully, beautifully said, because so often people will look back on difficult childhood experiences like that, moving all the time, illnesses and people not understanding you, and they'll kind of lean into that, whereas you saw that as the the wind beneath your wings. It helped you to soar. Well, I didn't see it immediately, Samantha. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty hard, you know, trying to live in the ordinary world. I didn't make the adjustment quickly. I think that's why I kept getting so sick. And I'm lying at night coughing into my pillow, hoping my mother doesn't hear me because I'm an only child. She's terrified that the only child's going to check out again. So it wasn't straightforward. And uh, it probably in some ways was only in midlife many years later that I figured out what I was meant to do with all of this in terms of my interaction with other people. That came about when I moved to a place in the country in upstate New York. I bought a farm on a lot of land with a rundown farmhouse because an old white oak tree and a red-tailed hawk that dropped a feather between my legs when I was sitting under that oak tree. I moved to that land and I started dreaming of the first peoples of North America, particularly the Mohawk, Iroquois people. I had to learn their language eventually to speak some Mohawk. Because... But you dreamt in their language before yes. you knew that language, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. By the way, for everybody listening, one of the things that can go on your, in your dreams is that you can pick up words, phrases, and actually find yourself communicating languages you do not yet know. Now, of course, sometimes it's all in a bubble where you understand everything. But for me, when I was called by a shaman woman, mother of the wolf clan of the Mohawk people lived 250 years ago, to enter her realm and learn from her and help her people and my people, she wouldn't translate. I had to learn not only the Mohawk language, but an archaic form of the Mohawk language with a spiritual vocabulary for which later on Mohawk speakers came to me to get words that are disused today. So it required some work when I was when she called me in a lucid dream initially in the middle of the night. I found myself flying on the wings of a red-tailed hawk to a cabin in the woods somewhere near Montreal. And she's speaking, stroking a wampum belt. I didn't know to call it that at the time. A beaded belt showing a mother wolf and two humans, Romulus and Remus, no different culture. And she starts teaching me things that her tradition knows. And the most important for our purposes right now is this probably, Samantha. She taught me that dreams show us the secret wishes of the soul. There's an old word in the Huron vocabulary, which is her original vocabulary, Ondinok. It means the secret wish of the soul. And the teaching in this tradition is that dreams show you what your soul wants, as opposed to the clutter of you know, ego-driven agendas and obligations of the ordinary mind. Dreams show you what the soul wants, and the job of decent people in a decent society is to gather gently around the dreamer 
can help them to notice what the soul is asking for in the dream and then to act to feed the soul or else you join the procession of the walking dead because your soul leaves you that's what she taught me i think all our ancestors understood this kind of thing but you know we forgot our cultures forgot our traditions forgot so that was the big thing happening in the middle of my life half a lifetime ago now or more on the edge of traditional mohawk iroquois country and i must say that this lady and the people that she knew in her lifetime had a very big impact on my present life. Sometimes I'm, a, I'm an agnostic about reincarnation, but I think I know from my experience that the dramas of our present life are related to the lives of personalities and other places and times. This is a moment for me when my present life began to turn with the life of somebody living 250 years ago, all happening at the same time, so to speak. And that helped me to change my life and it put me on the path of becoming a dream teacher for which there is no career track in this culture yet though i'm one of those trying to change that well yeah because you train dream teachers all over the world yes i've trained about a thousand people now i give them a certificate it basically said robert loves you but it says that you fulfill the requirements as a teacher of active dreaming and we've been doing it online in this pandemic period and we've had people from senegal to to seattle uh, from, you know, from New York to Norway, from, from, from Romania to, you know, I'm going to run out of the alliterations, but we, we, <laughs> we have people from all over the world uh, bringing these core practices, which are simple and powerful, to people where they live. Because I, that's very much what I want to do. I want to give people that power. I don't want them to regard me or anyone else as the master or the guru. I want them to recognize that when it comes to dreams, you are the expert on your own dreams. Other people can help you to find your way. You might need help to understand what's going on. Frequent flyers can help you, but don't give away the power of determining your own meaning for your dreams or your life. Yeah, that's something I believe in too. Something you talk about a lot in this most recent book, Growing Big Dreams, is reclaiming your magical child. Yes. And I kept seeing that coming up in different chapters where you were talking about different subjects, but it, it seemed to be kind of an undercurrent of reclaiming your magical child and you talk about dream droughts and how sometimes we all go through these droughts where we don't remember our dreams. And as I'm reading your book, I was thinking, gosh, I bet a lot of us are in a dream drought with the heaviness going on in the world right now and the fear and the anxiety from you know, a pandemic to the situation in the Ukraine, to this, to that, to this. And I was wondering if you could talk about ways that we can reclaim that magical child within us. Well, let's go to the depth of this before we come to the 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 easier and more obvious part. I mean, I, I'm going to give you a few suggestions about how, if you're going through a dream drought, you can break that drought starting probably tonight. But let's go to the depth of it. The reason, the fundamental reason why many of us have been without our dreams is we've lost the beautiful, bright dreamer in our soul. She went away. Shamans call this soul loss. You know, you suffered pain, you suffered abuse, you suffered terrible nightmares as a kid and no one would help you. Nightmares in the night, maybe nightmares in the day too. Nobody helped you. So just a dream, go back to sleep. So you said goodbye to your dreams and maybe part of you checked out of your body and went to live on, on the moon or somewhere else. Jung once met a young lady and he said she's been living on the moon for 20 years. And Marie-Louise von Franz came to him after the lecture and said, do you mean that woman, you mean that woman's been living on the moon? And Jung said, yes, he meant, although he didn't use this exact language, that she had lost a part of her soul and gone to live somewhere else, like living in the moon. It wasn't in her body because of pain, abuse, trauma. She lost a vital part of her energy and identity. And I would say that that vital part that we might lose is the dreamer. So let me tell you a story about how you get that back. 
you go back to the last dream you remember, or if you don't have any dream from any part of your life, you go back to a scene from childhood, maybe a happy one, maybe a, maybe a, maybe a difficult one. And you learn to travel back into that dream or that scene and connect with your childhood self in their own time. And here's an example of how this played. I was teaching in France at the time, and there's a woman there who'd done lots of stuff, shamanism, jujitsu, you know, meditation, all this stuff. But she was really ticked off because first thing in the morning at the residential workshop, people are gathered with their big French bowls of coffee and their croissants and their baguette and talking about dreams. I said, what's the matter? She says, I don't remember any dreams. I do all this other stuff, but you sit down and you talk about dreams first thing in the day and I feel left out. I said, I don't believe you don't have any dreams. She says, you're telling me I'm lying? No, I'm not saying that, but I want you to think about the last dream you remember in your life. And she thinks and she looks at me, she says, okay, I'm nine years old, she says, 30 years ago. So obviously she's 39 at the time. In my dream, a hand comes from behind a curtain and it's holding chocolate. And she says, I love chocolate. I want the chocolate. But I'm scared because I've been taught don't take candy from strangers. So she wakes herself up screaming and maman, papa, come, what is it? Oh, it's a dream, go back to sleep. So she has no support and she's frightened. So she's a good Catholic girl. She praises Jesus and Mary and all the angels and saints, no dreams, please. And I guess her prayers were answered for 30 years. She has not remembered a dream. I say, okay, she knows about shamanic journey. We use drumming for this. We shift consciousness, we travel. And we're doing a lot of that in the workshop, but she knows about that. I say, okay, I want you to go back inside your dream, travel inside your dream, go back to that dream when you're nine years old, open the curtain, see what's behind it. Will you do that? She's shaking, she's crying. She's a 39 year old woman who's done shamanism this night, but she's frightened by the invitation to meet in the space of her nine-year-old self. But she does it. She says, will you, you, will you come with me? All right, I'll come with you. Well, I'll invite a couple of others. We'll do a little group. We'll be your bodyguard. We'll be your trackers. We call it shamanic tracking. We'll travel with you into your dream space, which is something I teach people to do. So we're going to travel together in the dream space, mutual dreaming, interactive dreaming. And so we see what's going on. She opens the curtain. There's a radiant being, an angelic being, a being of light, and she's confused and stunned. And then the features resolve. It turns into the face of a man she knew and loved, like a second father. He owned a toy shop in Paris. He'd let her play there after hours. Nothing bad going on, pure love and family affection. She said, it was you, it was you, uncle. It was you, why didn't you show yourself? He said, Shiri, you forgot. I was killed in that car accident three years, three days before I met you. And I didn't know how to change my face. It was horribly mutilated. So I didn't want you to be scared. I wanted to give you something sweet. So there are tears and, and, and there's some kind of resolution. And then you want to know, well, where does this lead? Well, I can tell you where it led. This is really interesting. The next morning at the breakfast table, she's the first person there. She's ticked off now because she's waiting for us. She has dreams. She tells us eight dreams, one after another, vroom, 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 like a train grand vitesse, like a high-speed train. And as she tells the dreams, we feel all the soul energy in the room, like dragonflies, like butterflies, winking, like fireflies, winking all around her. She's got soul back because she brought back the beautiful bright dreamer. So this goes to the depth of it. We need to bring back the magical child. We need to go to a place where the magical child can be found. And then to keep the magical child around, we have to be safe and we have to be fun. I'm surrounded by toys. Our listeners can't see them. I've got a tiger pencil sharpener in one hand. I've got a red-tailed hawk that makes a good hawk sound in the other. I've got toy soldiers. I'm a boy. I've got marbles. I've got toys all around me. 
Okay, so there's that. But very quickly, you know, if you want to make a date with your dreams, do so. Set yourself a juicy intention for the night. Juicy. I'd like to have some fun in my dreams and remember. Don't make it a job of work. Arrange your schedule so that whenever you wake up, you can spend some time in bed trying to let things come back and be ready to record. The act of recording is essential. If you don't have a dream, write something down. Start keeping a journal. When you write something down, your dream producers notice you're paying attention and that might bring you something. And then learn to make this a social game. You know, we haven't been rewarding people for sharing dreams. I've invented a very simple four-step process for talking about dreams or personal stories that is fun. It enables us to give each other non-authoritarian, non non non-intrusive feedback and to guide each other towards creative and healing actions. You develop a, a practice like that and you'll find that your conversations with other people deepen, they become a lot more fun, they're energizing, and you have something great to do after sharing a dream, something creative, something healing. So these are elements in, in, mm -hmm. bre in breaking the, the, the societal dream drought, which is a pandemic in its own way and a serious one, the serious spiritual psychic pandem pandemic. I agree. When I don't remember my dreams, I feel disconnected from my soul, yeah. from source too. I yes. think it's... I think it's everything. Yes. Okay, I have to ask you, you, you talk a lot about parallel lives in your dreams. And in the Dreamer's Book of the Dead, you write this story about how a friend of yours dreamt that Dorothy Parker was with her. And I think she was handing her a martini glass or something. And um, I wrote down the quote somewhere. She said, the, your friend asked, you know, what are you doing in my dream? And, and Dorothy Parker says, Faster than you could pluck an olive from a martini. I love that line. I'm holding a seance now. How do you think you got to meet me? And so you talk about how sometimes when we have these dreams, there's really no time. It could be past, present, future. It could be a parallel life, but also the dead could be dreaming of us. Absolutely. Well, let's just stay with that a moment longer. My friend who is Dorothy, has a Dorothy Parker like wit herself. She doesn't drink so many martinis, she prefers champagne, but she's got a Dorothy Parker-like wit. She actually said to Dorothy Parker, did you hold seances when you were living? And that's when Dorothy Parker says, I'm holding one now. How do you think you met us? Uh, I've I've met uh, groups of the, the so-called dead holding seances in similar circumstances. I've not personally met Dorothy Parker, not that I remember, but I have met and been entertained by and entertained by being with some groups. I mean, there are clubs, there are societies, there are groups of friends on the other side. And some of them, some of them whom were significant psychics and psychic researchers during life on this side, do conduct seances. The ones who come from the Victorian period, from the heyday of the seance, from the Anarchadec and Victorian psychic researchers period, they, they often still, still hold somewhat old fashioned seances to call the living to them. So this is one of the ways that the so-called dead communicate with the living. They have all sorts of ways. They have courier systems. I mean, they've, they've been using advanced technology comparable to email and texting long before we had those technologies. Uh, they recognize, for them, quite often, we seem like the ghosts. To see us clearly, it's as if they're passing through a gauzy veil. Uh, their impressions of us, I mean, I've seen this, um, are sometimes very much like pushing through a veil, pushing through a curtain. We look like the ghosts. Well, we think they're the ghosts. So let's say this, there are many, many, many people on the other side of death who are anxious and eager to have conversation with the living for all sorts of reasons. They, they want an update on the family. They want to give us an update and show us how things are. They have messages, sometimes urgent messages, 
And if they care about us, they have messages, messages that could save our lives or save our health. I mean, I've benefited from this and so have my family repeatedly. And all right, they're lost, they're stuck, they're confused, they need some assistance from the living because they've lost their way. Yeats said with poetic clarity, the living have the ability to assist the imaginations of the dead. I know this to be true. Sometimes the so-called dead need our help. Why aren't they relying on their own angels and guides? Well, they can't see them. We seem more solid. We seem more real to them. So sometimes we are called upon to play psychopomp, which means soul guide, whether or not we've got the training or the basic vocation for dead people who've lost, who are lost, stuck or confused or frightened, and they seek forgiveness. They seek forgiveness from us. Uh, sometimes they want, you know, um, Anyway, so there are all sorts of reasons why the so-called dead want to contact the living. And there are so many of them, and so few humans that are fully receptive, there'll always be a role for the medium, for the, for the, for the true medium uh, and psyche, always be a role. Because we need people who are able and willing to convey accurately and honestly what the people on the other side want to say to us. And they have a lot to say. Yes, they do. And I do agree that they need us. My, my grandmother wasn't the nicest person and she died when I was 12 and 30 years later, she came to me in a dream looking terrible. And she said she couldn't face her life review process and asked us to pray for her. So I asked everyone in the family to pray for her. And about two or three weeks later, I had a dream and she was back in my living room and she said, thank you. And she looked beautiful. She was radiating light. She looked younger and she just dissolved into life. So I definitely have had experiences like that where I believe they do need our help and our prayers. Uh, yeah. But you mentioned William Butler Yeats. You have a very interesting relationship with him through your dreams. Can you share a little bit of that? Well, when I embarked, I've always loved Yeats. And from childhood, I've been able to recite a lot of his poems from memory. I mean, I grew up reading Yeats. I think I had an old scratchy record of Yeats himself reading some of his poetry. Uh, I'm not absolutely certain about the record now, but what I do know is I've been able to recite a great deal of Yeats since I was a young boy. And one of my prizes from my boys' school is the old edition of Yeats's collected poems. So I'm, I'm someone who's always felt close to Yeats and always dreamed into scenes involving Yeats and his circle. I mean, this goes back to boyhood also, as if I was in some life, you know, on the fringes of that, let's say. Then I embarked um, many years ago on the book that became the Dreamer's Book of the Dead. I decided I wanted to write a book that was all about death, dying and the afterlife and what active dreaming has to contribute. It's one of my fields. I think it's one of yours too. And I was leading a journey, a group shamanic journey, one of my workshops to a kind of magic library where we meet master teachers sometimes and find the books and inspiration we need. And I hear a voice calling to me from the top of a spiral staircase I hadn't noticed before. So it's a waking dream. I'm drumming while this is going on, by the way. I look up and there's a man in a countryman's cape, not a, not a wizard robe, but a flowing romantic country cape. And he says, what better guide to the other side than a poet? And it's Yeats. So I've just been offered the services of the poet I most love in the English language to help me write a book about the dead, which he always wanted to do. He never quite pulled it off. He had a, several goes at writing. He wanted to write a book of the dead, a Western book of the dead. And he produced two versions of the manuscript called A Vision, which is a very difficult book to read, very difficult book for Yeats to write. It gives you a headache, frankly. Not clear at all, to put it mildly, if, even with poetic intuition. So he wanted to write a Western Book of the Dead, and now he's offering his services to help me write a Western Book of the Dead, and his promise was fulfilled night after night, night after incandescent night. I'm with him, and then with people he introduces me to. He introduces me to a long list of people that he knew, uh, 
So they can talk to me about their experience of the afterlife and their transitions. So we're going back a century or so, Kuno Meyer, who the German who first translated the great voyage of Bran, one of the great Celtic voyage tales into English. Kuno Meyer shows me what happened after his death, what, what he did with his astral body when he's ready to give up his astral body. Really good stuff. It's, it's got this sort of period detail, which I love because I'm also a historian. So I, I, like, I like the period. I like the period detail. And, you know, the, 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 the central part of my book, The Dreamer's Book of the Dead, is all about the relationship with Yeats and what I learned with him and from him, from his work during life and from his work after death. Um, and then a certain point came after that book when he said, put on a decent suit, Robert. And he took me to meet someone else <laughs> in a dream. And he took me, I'm not going to go into that story right now, but I did put on a decent, I used to wear decent suits. I don't do that anymore. I just get sloppy around with jeans, but I put on a decent suit and takes me to meet someone um, who gave me another view of reality. So I've been doing this kind of thing for a long time. And I always, I'll always be humorous about what exactly is going on. If people say, do you think that was the individual spirit of Yeats? Do you think it was part of you that's like Yeats? You think it's something like Seth, like a personality essence that's taking on some traits of a famous individual? I say maybe it's all the all the above, but as a creator and as a writer, I would judge by results. What is coming out of this? Is this really good stuff or not? It is really, really. Well, you've read the book, <laughs> without false modesty. I think it's really good stuff. Uh, so that's that's a sufficient uh, endorsement for me. I don't have to tell myself that that Yeats in his uh, afterlife necessarily spending all this time with me night after night, though it, I don't think it's impossible because one of the things that goes on that we learn about is we are connected by affinity, by common interests, by common gravitation. Yeats wrote about this and experienced it during his life. He's following a certain path of research or study and suddenly he feels he is drawing minds to intellects towards him from across time, not just from his own time, a synchronicity comes into play, but great minds from other times are gathering around him because of the work and the study he's undertaken. He noticed that a lot in life. I notice it in our contacts with the so-called dead. If you're following a path of study, a passion, whatever it is, a passionate path of inquiry and investigation, the work that calls you, you will attract other minds. And I think the connections are for real. And the results can be fabulous because you become more than yourself. You are at the center of a company, a gathering of interesting minds and spirits. Yeah, I agree. And I think you can receive confirmation of that in your waking life too, which is exciting. Years ago, I read um, in Napoleon Hill's book about creating your dream committee. He talks about inviting like illustrious leaders and people to come and sit with you as you're trying to fall asleep and help you um, get answers in your dreams. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try that too. And so one of the, I picked like Dion Fortune, cause I just adore of her. Of and, and I, but I also picked William Butler Yeats. And so I was trying to fall asleep and I'm asking all these illustrious teachers and whatnot to come onto this new dream committee and team of mine. And I pictured this beautiful ornate library and Yeats came in dressed just as you described. And when I read your book a few years after that, I thought, what the heck is going on here? You know, it was so similar to what you pictured. And so I think, I think there is something very, very real going on when we ask for that help. You know, you have to ask, but I do think they show up. And look, if Padre Pio can bilocate and trilocate as a human on earth, then what can they do when they're out of the corporal body? Right. Well, the Napoleon Hill, you know, advisory council that is fun. I know lots of people have tried it. I used to do it uh, many years ago, I think before I'd actually read Napoleon Hill, or if I'd read him, I'd forgotten. I, I, 
I, I would actually put up a sort of board with pictures of the people I wanted on my advisory council, etc. There are there are a few uh, issues that come up. I won't say problems, but first of all, these people might not want to sit in a room together. <laughs> I mean, even if they look uh, as if they're they're the birds of a feather to us, they may not feel the same way. I've had the experience of finding that characters who I think are real on the spiritual level just don't want to be in the same space. I don't put me in with her, don't put me in with him. I've had Dion Fortune dreams all my life too, and I grew up on Dion Fortune's books. And uh, I still recommend, I actually particularly re recommend The Secrets of Dr. Taverner, those stories based on her practice as a psychic and a priestess. Uh, her, fi her fiction is actually, I think, a better guide to her practice than her nonfiction. She said the same Thank thing you. at one point. So I, I mean, I've but read everything. still in print. They're still in print. Yeah, never, they've never been out of print. No. I think I've read everything by Dean Fortune that's ever been published. I, I can't swear to that because a few things have come out posthumously in recent years. But I grew up in, with Dean Fortune too and always knew her stuff and always knew the tarot, the way it was used, you know, in her tradition. Always knew that before I ever saw a tarot deck. In fact, when I do tarot these days, I used to do it in my head. I just let the cards appear. And sometimes they shapeshift from any particular deck into a combination. So I'm with you on that too. And, you know, why shouldn't we ask for help? Why shouldn't we ask for help from greater minds, from larger minds? I mean, that's part of what it's about. When I was a teenager, still pretty sickly, but on my way to getting strong and fit again, uh, I had a guide who appeared as a beautiful young, beautiful young man from the Greek eastern, from the eastern edge of the Mediterranean. He was Greek, but he came from somewhere like Lebanon or Syria. He spoke in the language of the Neoplatonist philosophers. He told me one of the most important things I have ever been told. It's just one word. He said, the knowledge that matters always comes through anamnesis. Now, you can find this word in a dictionary, but it's not part of common English, but it means remembering. But in the doctrine of the philosophers, of the Greek philosophers, the Platonists and the Pythagoreans, anamnesis is remembering what you knew before you came into the body and remembering your connection with other minds and other lives separate from this one, past lives, perhaps other lives. So it's remembering the knowledge of soul and spirit that belongs to you, but is hard to hold on to when you come down into the body, because the Greeks say on the way to the body, you go through the river of Lethe, which is the river of forgetfulness. And we understand coming down the birth canal would drive away many memories. They also understood that it's difficult for someone to live in this world if they remember too much of other worlds as a child, unless they have someone who's going to watch over them and counsel them and be their warden. So uh, that's lived with me all my life. And I, I regard that part of my role as a dream teacher, which means a teacher of soul, because dreaming is all about soul. Uh, as a soul guide and dream teacher, part of my function is to help people to remember what they already know, but <laughs> has been missing because of the circumstances of life, starting with coming down the birth canal. I want to open people to the knowledge of greater purpose and what the soul wants that actually belongs to them, but might've been misplaced. Beautifully said. One thing's going on since the pandemic is people have noticed that dreaming is traveling, but it might also be traveling to see a friend living on the other side of the world that you haven't been able to fly to see. It might be a dream of having dinner in Paris. It might be a dream of having an interesting time in an alternate reality and coming back from that. So dreaming in that sense is people awaken to the fact that they're not confined to a certain role in life and not confined to the body and brain, except by lack of imagination. I think that is exposing them to deeper realms, call that fluidity, if you like. So uh, I'm very preoccupied with where we are after two years of the pandemic in the midst of a terrible, terrible war. 
And I'm very preoccupied with getting practical results for people that help them through this period. And the most practical approach for me is dreaming as I teach and practice it. By the way, in the languages of North America, the word shaman, which is a Central Asian word, um, is translated or actually rendered as dreamer. If you are a shaman in Native American traditions, you are called a dreamer. So we call you a shaman, anthropologists call you. In Mohawk, for example, which I had to learn because of my dream, the word is radzetos. It means one who dreams, one who dreams a lot, one who dreams powerfully, one can enter, who can enter other realms through dreaming. If you are a dreamer, if you're a true dreamer, you will have an oyaron. An oyaron is what we would translate, I suppose, an animal spirit, an animal guardian, uh, an animal a form that can live in your body and can carry out messages and assignments for you at a distance and guide other souls. So, you know, the dreaming is at its core a highly shamanic practice, or I would say this, the only shamans I respect are dreamers. They're dreamers. They have the ability to step into other worlds at will. They certainly have relationship with guides and allies amongst the nature spirits, the ancestors, the elemental powers and the animals. And if more people are opening to that, well, it's about time because this is where we all come from in terms of our ancestral identity. We lost it, we need to get it back. And of course, in the conditions of climate change, we need to dream with the earth and with the elemental powers. You recognize that dreaming isn't just about what happens when your eyes are closed. Dreaming is what is going on all the time. If you open your senses, your inner and your outer senses to the dream of the world. That's what I love. And I feel like you touch on that in all of your books, that dreaming is not just about what happens when we close our eyes. It's about what we are thinking about and feeling and connecting with throughout our day, our night, but also in other dimensions. There's so much stuff I was I we weren't able to get to. I love your writings about second sleep and what to do in the morning when you wake up and sleep positions. And I wanted to dive down into parallel lives in different times. So maybe you'll come back on the show. Well, I had a good time, Samantha. You can probably dream me back. And that is one of my favorite subjects and at the center of a lot of my personal research and work, Parallel Lies, Many Worlds, Alternate Universes. Yes, so me you. too. Okay, so I might hound you again in the future. But I did want to tell listeners, July 22nd to the 24th in Rhinebeck, New York, you're doing a weekend workshop um, on growing big dreams that they can check out. My website is mossdreams.com. I mostly teach online. The Omega Retreat in July is one of the very few in-person events where you can find me in the physical in the physical manifestation. So come and have some fun. I saw that. I was like, darn, because and then it looks like I missed the January was like your intro. So but it looks like you cycle through those so people can check if they want to jump on with an intro class. It'll come back around if they go to mossdreams.com. But if they do want to see you in person, Omega it is in July. And it's let's, beautiful. Let's that mention time. I'm also launching, and I do many courses for the Shift Network, many video online courses. We're doing a new one on time travel and alternate realities. <laughs> they'll, they'll I have be, to write this there'll down. Be free, there'll be a free intro event in May. I think it's May 14th. The course itself, just a seven-week course on time travel, reality creation, in the many worlds, in the multiverse, <laughs> that starts on June the 2nd. And that is going to be quite the adventure. I mean, all my courses are adventures. We, 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 go, we get in the deep end pretty quickly. 
And it's, it's fascinating to me how lively the online medium can be. I mean, some people who haven't yet experienced it fully and don't understand that they think of Zoom conference where people sit around looking at their cell phone, and goofing off, uh, not in my classes. It's, it's actually, actually it develops about as much energy as an in-person class where we're doing dream theater and uh, slithering like snakes on the floor and spreading our wings like hawks as we dance around the room. We develop that kind of energy. I agree. You know, Denise and I teach a lot of Zoom classes too, and I do miss the in-person, but I find that some people, especially if you're normally kind of shy or hesitant to raise your hand, it's not so shy when you're sitting in the comfy, cozy comfort of your living room. That's true too. And there's just a screen in front of you. So I find that people tend to share and interact a bit more, which I love. So please, everybody, I will post all of this information, including the Shift Network stuff, which I'm so excited to learn about. Um, we'll put that in the show notes and on our social media pages. I'll put a list of like kind of my top of your books to read, but there's so many. They're all fantastic. As you guys can tell, I'm a huge fan of Mr. Moss's work. I don't know that I can call you Robert yet, but I'll work up to it. I'll try. Uh, nobody calls me Mr. <laughs> <laughs> think of something else but don't call me mister <laughs> okay i'll call you dream lady you're a lady of great taste and discernment samantha it was fun to dream with you it was wonderful to dream with you as well thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening please remember as always to show up do great work and share your light